All right. How y'all doing tonight? Right. If you weren't awake before, like, I just watched the water, like, do the ripple thing because of that bass. It's like whenever you had, when you were in high school and you had the tassel in your little, like, mirror and you just wanted to see if the bass could. That just happened right there. So hopefully you're awake. You're ready. We're going to get into it. We are in, I just, well, there goes the candle. Um, it's cool. Don't worry about it. We are in this final week of this series called Stories, and what we've been doing over every week of this series is starting the night the exact same way that we're going to start tonight. So I have a question for you. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Everybody has a story. What's yours? What defines who you are? What makes you who you are? And my prayer is that through this series, you've been able to learn that ultimately you can find the full life that Jesus offers to be your story as well. And see, it's one that's offered because it doesn't have to be defined by your pain, your shame, and your guilt. Or a lot of times in life, leading up to a certain moment in life, everything you're doing is actually defined and revolving around your pain, your shame, and your guilt. But then once you accept Jesus and you find your story in him, it's now defined by his love, his joy, and his peace. And so when he says that he offers us life, the full life, it's one that we can have. It's one that can define us. And so we learn from stories in the Bible, as we also have learned from stories of your peers. And so far, Solomon has taught us the incredible value that we can find in having community around us. And we read four chapters of Ecclesiastes, and you're welcome. Uh, The next week, we got to learn from a guy named Jonah. And the truth that no matter how far or how fast you run away from God, he's running that much further and that much faster after you. And he's always providing a way home. Always, no matter where you are, he will always provide a way home. And then last week we got to learn from the story of Hosea and Gomer and the reality and the truth of God's redeeming love. And now when Hosea looked at Gomer, he saw nothing but value, even though the world said that she's just a prostitute, that the only value she has is what she can do. And yet Hosea pursued her. He beckoned her. He allured her. And it's the same thing that God does to us. Because in the story of Hosea and Gomer, we are not the hero. We are not Hosea. We are Gomer. And we are in need of being redeemed. And so we find his love. We find his offer. We find the full life that he has whenever we find our story in him. And see, this entire series is one that uh, is kind of inspired from something personal to me. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son, Bowen. I feel like I've talked about my kids more in this series than I ever have before. But, well... Get over it. We're about to have another one. So I'm in like nesting mode, kind of. You know what I mean? No, you don't, but it's fine. You will one day. Now, the inspiration for this came from something I do every single night with my son. Uh, my son is super smart and like wakes up and he is straight to 10. Like the kid doesn't know. He cannot be quiet like his daddy. Uh, he can't. He can't be quiet. He will sit there and play a game on his iPad. And, like, talk to the characters while he's playing. Larson took a video of it the other day. Like, it's just impossible. He's everywhere. He's always awake. He's super lively. He hates going to sleep, which mom and dad hate, right? It's like the witching hour from 6 to 8. Just, kid, it's time to go to bed. Just, it's time to go to bed. And then at 10 o'clock, kid, it's time to go to bed, okay? I love you, but I'm not rubbing your back anymore. He just, he's always alive, always awake, always has questions, And so one of the things that we do every single night is whenever I put him in bed, get him dressed, we brush his teeth, we get him in bed, I sit next to his bed, and I read to him. And like, don't, like, no, like, this is just me and him. I'm a super nerd. I'm an English major. Don't you judge me. And one of the things that we like to do is read. I tell him stories. He asks me to come up with stories, and so sometimes I come up with stories. But what I really like to do is tell him stories from this. This is my son's Bible. 
It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And as I read this to him, I love this Bible. Like, if y'all wouldn't be up here and be like, he's reading us a kid's story, I would totally read from this every single week. And you learn from it. Because it's simple, and it has pictures. And I'm like, I get that. Okay, I can see it. Yes. This is like cheating. But I love this Bible also because of the stories it tells. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so all the stories that it, that it tells actually is telling the truth of that the Bible is one big story. It's God's story. And all of the Old Testament is written fully looking forward to the coming of Jesus, of him coming out of heaven, coming to earth and living, and everything is prophesying and looking for that moment to happen. And everything in the New Testament is telling of the life of Jesus and pointing to the fact that he's coming again. And so we can have hope, we can have life, we can have restoration, we can find salvation in Jesus. See, the entire Bible is Jesus. John 1 says that before time, before anything was created, the Word was there. And when it talks about the Word, what it means is Jesus. And so I love this Bible because of what it teaches me. I am almost 30 years old. Hang on, let me just wait a minute. Mm. Nine days, I'm 30. Oh, okay, I can, I can make it. I'm not going to die yet. I'm only a third day. But I'm almost 30, and this children's Bible teaches me all the time. And so a lot of the inspiration for even the stories we're talking about are coming from this Bible. And tonight we're going to pull a story from this Bible that I was able to learn. And it's a story that involves a little girl, a little servant girl. It involves a commander of the Syrian army. And it involves a lot of... A lot of pride. It's like the making of a wonderful movie, right? If only I had a deeper voice, but I'm a tenor, so it doesn't work like that. It's an incredible story. And see, the thing in there is that it's one filled with a lot of pride. So my question to kind of start the night, and we're not going to do interaction on this one, is what is pride? What, what is pride? Because we could talk about pride a lot, but what really is pride? Because if the guy we're going to talk about had a lot of pride, you need to understand what that is. And you need to understand that in your story, it's probably a lot of pride. Because pride is the root of all sin. Pride is the original sin. Because, see, pride says, i got to make it all about me. It's all about my glory. It's all about my name. It's all about what's good for me. Not anybody else. Me. This is what pride does. And if you don't know this, Pride was the original sin because it was pride that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. So in heaven, before the creation of the world, at some time, there was an angel named Lucifer. And Lucifer, in his heart, created and developed this sense of pride, thinking that he should be worshipped, not God. That he was the most beautiful creation that God made. And so he should be the one receiving all the praise. He should be the one that people are following. He should be the one that is getting all the glory. And the root of that thought was pride. And because of his pride, he was cast out of heaven. And he was no longer allowed to be in God's presence. Because that pride is sin. And it is what kept him from God. And so Lucifer the angel became our enemy, Satan. See, whenever you think about pride, a lot of times in sports we can talk about how great it is. Like, oh, you need to have pride for your team. Yes, you need to be all about your team. But at the root of what actually is happening in your world, your life is defined by pride. And you got some big problems. And the reason I know this is because it's the main thing that I struggle with in my life today. I struggle with pride. I struggle with 
with the view that people have of me, if I'm just being really candid. I struggle with the thought of, of how large things are that I'm leading, the impact that I get to make. See, everything I just said in those three statements has to do with who? This guy. I struggle with pride. My life is one that is defined by a man trying to fight against his pride. And so the reason why I want to go into today's story is because it talks about a man that I find a lot of me in. And I think as we get into this, you're going to see a lot of you in as well. So maybe you come in here tonight and you're saying, well, I don't really struggle with pride. I struggle with lust. I don't really struggle with pride. I struggle with sex. I don't really struggle with pride. I struggle with, with addiction or with jealousy or with envy. I don't really struggle with those things. I struggle with anger. That's my thing. I just get pissed. Okay, well, calm down, Hulk, okay? It's a safe place. But everything, every single thing that you could say of what it is that your struggle is, at the core, if you take all the layers away and you keep peeling it back, at the core, what it is that you're struggling with is pride. Pride will always be found at the root. And it is what will make your heart dark. And it is what will kill you inside. And it is what will keep you from God. And this is something that I had to learn, but it's also something that my man Naaman had to learn. So tonight we're going to learn about Naaman. Y'all say his name, Naaman. 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 N-A-A-M-A-N. I don't know if that's like a Greek food or what it is, but his name is Naaman. So let me give you a little backstory on this guy named Naaman, this dude named Naaman. Naaman was a commander of the Syrian army. He was a bad mamma jamma. Like people feared Naaman. Because at the time when we see him come into the story, the Syrian army might have been the most powerful army in the world. So he's one of the most powerful men of the most powerful army of the world, so he might be considered the most powerful man in the world. You don't want to come across Naaman. And because of that, Naaman had a lot of pride. But again, the story involves not just Naaman. It involves a little girl. It involves Naaman. It involves a commander. It involves his pride. But what we're going to see is that it involves a lot of Jesus. So a prophet will speak to Naaman, and we will get to see his story. And we're going to pick up there. In 2 Kings chapter 5. So I'm going to read from this Bible tonight. It's the Bible under your chairs if you want to follow along. We're also going to have it up on the screen if you need to do that. But if you want to follow along with the Bible under your chair, we're going to open to page 366. To 2 Kings chapter 5. Now in the story of Naaman in 2 Kings, you're going to see, like we've talked about, a lot of pride. But you're also going to see a picture of love, a picture of forgiveness, a picture of grace. See, pride is the opposite of humility. Pride says it's all about me. Humility tries to make it all about others, less of me, more of you. And we've talked about if you want to be a person that grows up spiritually, that has spiritual maturity, then you have to learn this, this truth that the way you grow spiritually is you start loving on others more than yourself. You start caring for others more than yourself. And pride doesn't allow that to happen. It doesn't allow you to love. So many times people would say the opposite of hate or the opposite of love would be hate. But they would be wrong. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is pride. Because you cannot go and love people when it's all about you. All you will do is manipulate. All you will do is try to absolutely turn everything back to the view that people may have of you. It's selfish. So while we look at pride, there's also a story of love that we're going to see. And I think it's going to be one that's going to speak to a lot of us. 
So in 2 Kings chapter 5, we find the story of Naaman. We're going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it. We're going to go into it. Let's dive in. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of the, the word, the term leprosy? Okay. How many of you have no idea what leprosy is? We just, okay, good. Let me, let me learn you something for a second. Leprosy is about as bad as it gets. Because whenever you have leprosy, your, your appendages will start to fall off. Like, that's just gross. You know what I mean? Like, save it for the horror stories, okay? But this is real life. Your skin turns white and becomes like ash. Your appendages fall off. A lot of people with leprosy back in the time, back in the day, like, would not have noses. Because the leprosy would have gone so bad into where, into their facial cavity that their nose would, would fall off. They would have lesions, and they would have these open sores and wounds, and people weren't allowed to touch people with leprosy. You were an untouchable. And see, the thing about leprosy is that it killed you because you couldn't feel anything. Your hand would start to tremble, and your fingers would fall off, and you wouldn't feel it. Leprosy is wretched. You don't want anything to do with it. And Naaman, a powerful man, had this. So in other words, Naaman had a death sentence. Naaman's going to die. It's not a good thing. And Naaman, being all about Naaman, wants to fix it. So verse 2. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive of a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. So in other words, Naaman and his men went out and they killed this little girl's family in Israel and took her back as a slave. So I would imagine that the little girl at this moment probably hates Naaman. She probably looks at her master and thinks, I wish he would die. He killed everything I have, everything I know. Why would I love that man? And yet what we see in verse 3 is that the little girl said to her, said to her mistress, if only my master, if only Naaman would see the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. See, the little girl didn't want him to die of leprosy. The little girl wanted to be healed of leprosy. She wanted him to live. And because that little girl came from Israel, she had a faith that said, there's a prophet in Samaria who can heal you, Naaman, if only you'd go and see him. And Naaman at this point is thinking, well, I'm going to do whatever I can to get healed. So verse 4, Naaman went to his master and said, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Well, by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel myself. And so Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read this. With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So the king of the conquering nation is sending a letter to the king of the one he just conquered. Basically saying, you're going to do as I tell you. I'm sending Naaman. You better heal the man. And this strikes a little bit of fear in the king of Israel. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Great response, by the way. Like, anytime anyone says, hey, heal me, like, great. Just, they're like, me? You must mean 
you must mean the other king of Israel. He says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So he's, he's bugging out. But when Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, when he heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Like it's totally like a, like, freaking come on, man. Did you forget that I'm here? Why have you torn your robes? Have the man that came to visit you, have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and all his treasure, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him. So the commander of the army, the most powerful dude in the world, shows up at your house, and he didn't even go to say hey to him. It's like, hey, some guy, go... Go fix this. Go tell him something, right? He sends a messenger to go to Naaman. Elisha, the prophet's going to heal him. Doesn't even send himself. He sends a messenger. Now, I would imagine that that probably ticks Naaman off a little bit. We'll see that it actually did in a second. In verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, in the river. Go wash yourself seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, just pissed. Like, I'm Naaman. Do you know who I am? I just killed y'all. Like, for real? But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Magic. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, where he comes from? Are not these two rivers better than all the waters of Israel, including the Jordan? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? And so Naaman turned off and went away in a rage. But then in verse 13, we see a little bit of God's grace. Because Naaman's servants went to him and said, Listen, Naaman, Pops, my father, If the prophet had told you to do some great thing because of how great you are, would you not have done it? If Elijah said, Naaman, listen, go kill 10,000 men and I'll heal you of the leprosy. This leprosy is taking you out and it's killing you. Would you not have gone and done it? Would you not have done the miraculous, the crazy, the the absolutely over-the-top thing? You probably would have, Naaman. So how much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? All you got to do is get in the river. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult, Naaman. But see, Naaman's problem is that he had leprosy and he needed to be healed. But the real problem Naaman had was his pride. Because Naaman thought, I'm too good for that. I don't need help. I'm not going to do this little joke he's playing on me. I'm Naaman. I'm a big deal. He thought he was too good for that, especially to wash in that stinky river called the Jordan River where all the Israelites, the people less than him, the people that he just conquered, would go and bathe and do stuff in. I'm not going to lower myself to that standard and humble myself to that extent. And see, just like Naaman, a lot of you walked in here tonight 
You walked in here tonight far from God, and you walked in here tonight full of pride. And some of you probably walked in here tonight thinking, I don't need that. Whatever this bearded dude is saying to me, I don't really need that. And he keeps talking about this guy, Jesus. I don't really need him. He keeps talking about this salvation, this love, this life, this offer that Jesus gives. Like, that's great, but I don't really believe in that. I I got this. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do more things. I'm going to be better. I'm going to figure it out myself. Okay? Well, what we're going to learn is that you're a lot like Naaman, and there's a problem much deeper than your decision of actions. So what I want to do is I want to actually read you the story, but I want to finish the story from my son's Bible. And I am going to read it. And if you don't like this, well, story time, kids. Gather around. All right? So I'm going to read you exactly as this is laid out because the language of this messes me up. A Bible for my three-year-old son messes me up. And I'm going to read you the language here because I think it's going to speak to you better than that will. All right? So here we go. We know the story of Naaman. The servant just said, listen, just go, just go freaking wash in the river and be cleansed. Be done with this. Be healed. And this is what happens. So Naaman said, or uh, the king said, I can do a lot of things, but only God can heal. So just then a message from Elisha arrived. Send Naaman here, it read. And so Naaman hurried off to Elisha's house. But Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. He just sent a servant instead. Doesn't Elisha realize who I am, Naaman thought? But when the servant... But what the servant said next made him even crosser. Wash in there, he said. Just just wash, Naaman laughed. And that slimy, stinky river, he looked around to see if this was some kind of joke. I'm Naaman. I'm important. Any person can go wash in a river. I should do something more important so that God will heal me because I'm important. And he rode off in a rage. But, of course, You and I both know that that's not how God does things. All that Naaman needed was nothing, but it was the one thing that Naaman didn't have. God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. Naaman was a proud man. He he thought that he didn't need God. And so while leprosy was allowing his body or making his body stop, stop working, his heart didn't work properly. And even though his body couldn't feel anything, his heart couldn't feel anything. You see, his body may have had leprosy, but Naaman had leprosy of his heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. Naaman finally agreed to go wash in the river, and instantly his skin became smooth like a baby. Naaman wanted to then pay Elisha for the gift that he had, for the healing that occurred. God healed you, Elisha said. What me? It was God. You can't pay me. It's a free gift, Naaman. All you had to do was be obedient and accept the offer. And so it was that a very sick man was healed, all because of a little servant girl who should have done nothing but cast him out, who chose to forgive him. See, God knew that sin, the sin in our life, was like leprosy. It stopped his children's hearts from working properly, and in the end, it would kill them. But years later, God was going to send another servant to forgive as she did. Only this time, his servant would be one that would forgive all of God's children and heal the terrible sickness in their hearts. 
because people's hearts were broken, but God can mend broken hearts. So in the story of Naaman, we see that finally he got in the water, that he washed himself seven times, that he humbled himself to the point to say, okay, you know what? I'm dying, and I have no hope on my own. I need help. And so as ridiculous as it may seem to put my faith and my trust in this thing that you're telling me, Elisha, all right, I'll trust you. I'll try it out. And then the moment he did, he was given life. And his body was healed and no longer. In actually the scriptures, it says that his body, his skin became like that of a child again. Smooth as a baby's bottom. It was all gone. All the sores, all the lesions, all the problems, they were gone. All the death that was awaiting Naaman was gone. And now he had life. And see, the story of Naaman is one that's incredible because it shows us that while we may think that we have things going on around us, there may be ailments in our world, there may be situations and conditions that we got to go deal with and get over and get better at, but the truth is, none of those things are going to kill you. Your pride is. Your sin is. Because it makes your heart, it turns your heart into having one that's leprosy. See, leprosy causes your body not to feel, but the truth is whenever you are lost in your sin, your heart can't feel, and it's slowly dying. And the most beautiful part of this story is that Naaman didn't have to do anything other than simply say, all right, I'll trust you and I'll obey you. And then he tried to pay. He tried to reciprocate. All right, thanks for the gift. Now here's what I can do. And Elisha said, no, it's a free gift. There is no reciprocation here. You don't owe me anything. And guess what, Naaman? You didn't have to go and cleanse yourself of the leprosy before you'd actually get healed. You didn't have to go do the work yourself. All you got to do is get in that water, and the moment you get in that water, God's going to heal you. And see, it wasn't necessarily even the water that healed Naaman. It was the overwhelming rushing in of God's love that healed Naaman. Because his pride was broken, he humbled himself to believe in this offer from that man of God. So when we hear the story of Naaman, it's one of incredible redemption. It's one that tonight is probably similar to a lot of you. Because while Naaman wanted his body to be clean, what he really needed was his heart to be cleaned. And a lot of you need to be cleaned. And see, you may come in here feeling like you are as dirty as Naaman was. Or maybe you feel like you're as dirty as that river probably was. And there's just stuff you're carrying And what you got to know is that you don't have to hold on to it anymore. Because the stuff that you carry, the root of it is your pride, but the source of it is your pain, your shame, and your guilt. You feel pain, and so you cover it up. You cover it up as a result of the fears that come along with anger. You cover it up with sadness. You cover it up with emotions. You cover it up with putting up walls and defenses and not letting anybody in. And then as a result of that, something else happens in your life, and you continue to beat up yourself. And so you feel guilt from the things you do that then causes shame. And then the shame takes you into an even deeper and darker place. And now you don't know how to get out of it. And so you start looking around for salvation. You start looking around for a savior, for somebody to save you, for some girl to come in your life and make everything better, or for some boy to show up and to fill some romantic movie played out dream. But the truth is, those things will never fulfill you. They cannot heal you because they didn't hurt you. Your sin did. And until you take care of that sin, you're going to continue to live with that leprosy of your heart. You're going to die. 
But see, your physical body will die one day, but the truth is you're not, you're not a body. C.S. Lewis says you are not a body, you are a soul. You have a body. And your soul will live forever. And the offer of God is that you don't have to continue living out without leprosy. You can let him heal you. You can accept the love of God. This overwhelming, abiding love that can heal you of whatever's going on. And the moment you have that, even though your body may die, you won't die. Your soul will live and be redeemed and restored to God. And the leprosy will go away, wash away in the river of his love. It's something that Naaman had to figure out. And see, the, the part about Naaman's story that's not even in the, in the storybook Bible and that we haven't even gotten to is that after this, Naaman started to worship God. He started to tell people about God because now he had life. Because he went back and they were like, wait a minute, you, like, you look like powder five minutes ago. What is happening? What is going on? Mm. Thought you was a ghost. Not anymore. What is going on? And so Naaman's like, well, listen, I've been healed, and I've been healed because of this man who told me about God, and because I received this love and this offer and this easy, free gift from God, I was able to be healed. And so we started worshiping, started telling people, and people in Syria started to be changed towards God's heart because of what God did in his heart. And so while this is Naaman's story and it's my story, it's also a story of someone in here. A courageous girl and one of my friends, one of your peers named Sydney, who's lived this out. And she bravely would like to share with you her story about how there was addiction, there was darkness, there was sickness. And yet God healed her. God healed her of all those things and gave her life. Listen in. My name is Sydney Morales. I'm 21 years old. I grew up with parents that didn't know the Lord, um, so we weren't really taught that God didn't exist, but we weren't taught that God existed either. That's just kind of how I had a foundation of faith. I didn't really have any faith because we were taught that it wasn't there. That all changed when I was about eight years old. Um, my mom got saved, and after that, things just really dramatically changed. We started going to Crossroads, which was Tolstone way back in the day when I was about the fifth grade. And so my cousins were going, my whole family was going, and I had friends that were going. And so it was more of a social aspect. We were dancing and singing and having a great time. And I wasn't really grasping God, and I wasn't really grasping the messages. I was more there for fun. That really just continued until high school. I was just kind of going through the motions of church every single Sunday and going through the motions of small group in Sunday school and not knowing anything. And so a freshman in high school, you're going through a lot of changes. And since I didn't have any kind of foundation, I was lost. I had a lot of doubts about God. I had a lot of doubts on who he was and what he was all about. And, and then my sophomore year of high school came around and I got in a relationship with this guy that I had been friends with for a really long time. I knew he had problems and I knew he had some issues, but I thought, you know, I can help him. I can fix him in this relationship. Soon after we started dating, the relationship took a turn for the worse. It became very physical, physically abusive and emotionally abusive. And he was also a very hardcore atheist at the time. And as I was going through all of this, I was questioning God, you know, why is this happening to me? The more I started questioning, the more he was just telling me I'm questioning because God didn't exist. And I soon believed that, and I was an atheist, and I developed really severe depression and anxiety. I also developed a very severe eating disorder, and I was self-harming. 
and things were just really, really hard. And I was just being torn down in every aspect of my life to the point where I was felt like just an empty shell. I had no emotions. I had lost so many friends. I remember one night, it was September 4th, I was just looking for an answer to how to try to make things better. And the answer I came up with was, I'm just gonna take myself out of the picture. I'm gonna remove myself from this. I'm gonna take the stress off myself, my family, my friends. And I'm just gonna completely and totally remove myself. And I remember talking to the guy that I was with saying, hey, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take myself out. And he said, well, just do it. And so that really confirmed my decision. So that night I had decided, you know, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take myself out. I remember literally moments before I was gonna do it, my mom comes home and I freaked out because I heard her downstairs and I hit everything and she just came up to my room and she said, you know, I don't know why you need this, but I just figured I would give it to you and she handed me a Bible and I just said thank you and she closed the door and left and I opened up the Bible just randomly and it flipped to Romans 5.8 which says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and I was mad. I didn't want to believe that. I didn't want to believe that someone was there loving me even when I didn't want to love myself. So I just closed it and kept going with my life. But after that moment, things started changing. I was out of the relationship that I was in, um, but things were still really hard. I was still being bullied. I was still struggling with anxiety and depression, and I was still um, having this eating disorder that was really hard to recover from for a long time. I just kept going through high school. I mean, things were getting better, but they weren't great by any means. And once I graduated, I got really into the party scene and got caught up in a wrong crowd. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was dabbling in really hardcore things that I thought were okay at the time, and I was just drinking a lot, and I felt alone. Even though I was surrounded by people all the time, I was alone. And I remember it was August of 2014. I had gone out one weekend and I woke up the next morning and I drove home and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I was broken. I was alone. I felt like I had no friends. I just felt lost. I came home and my mom was talking to me. She just said, hey, Sydney, you know, they have this thing at 12 Stone on Thursdays. You should really check it out. I didn't want to go. I had a lot of pride built up and I didn't really want to rely on something or someone else to help me. I wanted to really fix myself. It only took two weeks of her constantly bugging me to finally go. I was just scared that I was going to be judged or scared that it was going to be a bunch of goody two-shoes that thought they were better than everyone else and I had so many problems and I didn't think anyone could relate. And I remember it was one of Sean Meyer's last time preaching. I think it was his last week and he was teaching about Elijah and Elisha and the floating axe head and it's in 2 Kings and it was basically saying if you're lost and if you've lost your faith and if you're just lost you can ask God to help you find yourself and help you find your faith and he will do it. And that message just really resonated with me because that's where I was. I was lost. I didn't know where I was going and I needed someone to help me and not judge me and not condemn me for what I was doing. I just needed help. As I looked at my notes, I looked down at the date and it was September 4th, which was four years after I 
was going to take my own life. And I freaked out. And that night, I was saved. And that night, I turned everything around. Soon after, I decided to get baptized on November 9th of 2014. I have really seen grace and forgiveness. And there has been a lot of bumps in the road in my life. But it all led to where I am now. I really am just at an amazing place because of God's love and God's forgiveness and God's constant pursuit even when you're running so far away. He will always catch up and He will always run harder and faster. Oh, I, love, I love that story. That was... Sydney was the first baptism that I got to be a part of when I got into C12. So I have a, a special place for that because her story is when it shows that God pursues us, that God loves us, and that God wants to heal us. See, God healed Naaman. God healed Sydney. God's healed me. He's healed many of you in the room tonight. But for those of you that have come in here, on the other side of that offer, God wants to heal you too. He desires to heal you completely. To heal you in the same way that he did her. Because, see, there's a problem. There's this problem that all of us have, and it's this. We sin. If you came in here tonight thinking, I'm a good person, I don't ever sin. Nope, no, you're not, boo-boo. You sin too. It's a true statement. We all sin. We all mess up. We all have pride. And, see, it's pride that's going to keep you from God. It's pride that casts Satan out of the presence of God when he was in heaven. And it's your pride that will keep you from God eternally. Because it's your pride that's going to say, it's all about me and I don't need you. I don't need that gift. I don't need that offer. But if you continue living that way, what you're doing is deepening and furthering yourself into the leprosy, into the deceit, into the lie that you can do this on your own. No one's ever been able to do it on their own because everybody dies. Everybody dies. It's great math. It's always happened. Everybody dies. And you're going to die one day. But like I just said a few minutes ago, you may die physically, but it doesn't mean that you have to die spiritually. Because the offer of God is that you would have life. See, Jesus, the gospel, the good news for all of us tells us that Jesus was in heaven. And the plan from the very beginning, before the creation of the world, the plan was Jesus. That Jesus would come one day to earth, take on the form of a human, and that even though he never had leprosy of his heart, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He lived a life we never could, and so he never had the leprosy that we have. And yet he said, I'm going to take all the leprosy that you have, I'm going to take it on myself. All the sin that you got, you can put it on me. And all the death that you deserve, I'm going to die for it instead. See, because he never sinned, he never would have died. And so the Roman army or the, the leaders, whoever, Pontius Pilate, none of them killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. And he gave up his life and he turned himself over willingly as a sacrifice for you, saying, you deserve death. Guess what? Newsflash. That's what you deserve. And yet I'm going to take that death that you deserve. I'm going to take it upon myself so that you don't have to have it so you can have life. And so Jesus was taken and he was arrested and he was beaten and he was put before trial, and then he was tortured, and he was whipped with a whip that would literally grab into his skin and rip out the flesh 
so that his back would be exposed. And then they put a giant cross, this wooden tree that was cut out. They put it on his back that had just been ripped apart. They put it on his back and made him walk up to this hill where eventually they would then put the cross into the ground with him on it. And they would kill him. And Jesus would die. And see, where every other person for all of humanity had always died and death had won, death didn't win with Jesus. The good news is that death didn't win with Jesus because three days later, Jesus would rise from the dead, that he would defeat death, and that for the first time ever, somebody would overcome death and he would come back to life. Not because someone went over him and started praying over him, because Jesus himself said, I'm not sorry, this ain't going to happen, I'm going to be alive again. And so he rose from the dead, and that is the resurrection that we can have too. We no longer have to be bound to our sin, bound to our leprosy, bound to our death, because all we have to do is put our faith and our hope and our trust and our love in Jesus, and we are able to receive the life that he offers, the life that he won for us. See, Jesus was thinking of you when he was doing that. Because it was out of love that it occurred. The best line in this Jesus Storybook Bible, it says that those nails didn't keep Jesus on the cross. His love for you did. And if you've never experienced what love is like and you came in here tonight and this is hitting you across the face and you're feeling that pounding in your chest, but you're still resistant because you're thinking, but I don't deserve that. Guess what? You're right. You don't. But Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still in darkness, Christ died for us. Naaman didn't go and get clean and then God would heal him. Sydney didn't have to go and get clean before God would heal her. And you don't have to go and get clean or change or fix anything to accept the offer of God. The Bible says it's the simplest, easiest, lightest gift you'll ever have to receive. Because all you do is you put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. And you believe that your salvation, your hope, your life can come from him and him alone. Because you can't do it on your own. And no one else has been able to offer this but him. And if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That he is your hope. That he is your sufficiency. That he is all you need. That it's not that guy. And it's not that idol. And it's not those things. And it's not that life. And it's not that joy. Like, listen. Following Jesus is not unicorns and rainbows, okay? It's not always going to be happy-go-lucky, lucky charms. It's not what it is. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of difficulty. The Bible says, I promise you, you will face trials if you follow me. And, but here's the thing that you have to wrap your head around when you think about Jesus and you think about life and you think about salvation and you think about heaven. If you don't have Jesus, if you continue living in your sin and you don't have Jesus, the best possible thing that you could ever experience on this earth, that's as good as it gets for all of eternity. It's only south from here. So think of the best possible thing you could ever experience and then realize the fact that about five minutes after you experience that or five weeks after you experience that or five months after you experience that, it's going to get bad again. It never lasts. Well, that feeling, that's as good as it gets if you don't have Jesus. But if you have Jesus, the worst that it ever gets on this earth is as bad as it ever gets for all of eternity. It's only looking up from here. There are people right now over in the Middle East that love Jesus. People in Syria, 
the exact same place that Naaman was from. People in Syria, people in Libya, people in Israel, people that are being hunted down because they love Jesus. And there are men of God going around to these people that are being hunted down, and they're saying to them, listen, people are going to come here. ISIS is going to show up here, and when they do, they're going to say, do you love Jesus, or are you Islam? And if you choose to convert over, they won't kill you. But listen, if you hold fast to your faith and you say, yeah, I follow Jesus, it's only going to hurt for a second, and then it'll never hurt again. See, the offer of God is eternal life. The offer of God is fulfillment. The offer of God is love and joy and peace. And nothing can take that away from you. All you got to do is believe. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And just like Naaman, you can be healed. Maybe that's the river that you need to step into tonight. And here's the deal. You know it if it's you. So what I want to do is give you an offer to do that. This is the offer of God. These aren't my words. This isn't anything pretty that I can come up with. But I'm asking everybody in this room to bow your heads. But you bow your heads, you close your eyes. And if listen, if you have Jesus right now, this is what you do. You take up a sword and you start praying. You start praying that God would do a miraculous work of expanding the kingdom and saving people's lives in this room. Because your friends don't have Jesus. And the most hateful thing you could ever do in your life is to know someone that doesn't have Jesus and never actually tell them about him. So use this opportunity now to pray for those people. And if that's you, if you want that, if that's the offer that you desire, then what I'm going to ask you to do with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, everybody in this place, if that's you, I'm just going to say a prayer and I'm going to ask that you would repeat it. But when you repeat it, you can say it with your mouth and with your words and with your, with your volume, but you don't have to. You can say it in your head and in your heart because really this, these need to be words from your heart. And they don't need to be words spoken by you. They need to be words spoken to Jesus. Asking him to forgive you, to heal you, to save you. Something like this. Heavenly Father, I've sinned. I've messed up. I'm sick. And I want to be healed. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and rose to life so that I may have life. I realize that I can't heal myself, and that only Jesus can. Please forgive me of my sins and clean my heart. Make me new. Give me life. I want to be restored to you. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins, and I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And now what I want you to know, everyone looking at me, if you just said that, you are saved. You are healed. You have life. And nothing can take it from you. That is the most incredible decision you will ever make because right now you just fixed yourself for eternity with Jesus because your salvation lies in him, nothing of this world. And so anytime that even one person comes to Jesus, all of heaven erupts in celebration. And so I think it would be like for us to go bananas because somebody, somebody in this room just came to Jesus. <laughs> Listen, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. It's, this, is, this is not like self-help book. This is not behavior modification. This is your eternity. And if you're lost, Jesus wants to find you. And that's the offer that you can receive. Many of, it, many of you in this room have received that while you've been here. And see, now you may be wondering, awesome, well, I got Jesus. What now? 
Great question. Wonderful question. And see, the, the simplest answer I could give you is obedience. You just start being obedient. Obedient to whatever God would offer to you. There's a song I sing to my son that he's starting to learn, and I love it. And it's a super old song, and it goes like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I've, like, drilled that into his head in my, like, 18 keys that I just sang it in, right? I could sing when I was in high school. Not anymore. But that's it. It's you trust and you obey. So if you have given your life to Jesus, then the thing you do now is you follow him in obedience. And what the Bible says to do is repent Turn from your sin, turn to God, and be baptized in the same sentence. It's not a sentence and then a lot of stuff and then be baptized. No, repent and be baptized. It's an instantaneous, momentary decision of obedience. The first thing that we get to do in following Jesus. Now, before we go into the offer of what I think is going to be an incredible rest of the night, I want to actually tell you what baptism is. Because a lot of times we can get our theology mixed up in understanding what baptism is. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. Your faith in Jesus is your salvation. Baptism is a picture. It's a symbol. It's a public declaration of what Jesus has already done in you privately. So you don't get baptized if you don't have Jesus. You do it after. And it's, it's really, it's like this, just in case you're still confused. I'm married. And you're like, how in the world? Just hey, stay with me. <clears throat> I'm married. I know you're jealous, but it's okay. You'll get there one day. I'm married. Her name's Larson. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. She's incredible. Five and a half years ago, I made vows to her. I said, for the rest of my life, I commit myself to loving you, to cherishing you, to giving myself to you, because you are mine and I am yours. And on that day, I put on a wedding ring. Now watch. So gained weight, but it's cool. All right, so here's my wedding ring. You ready? Am I still married? Yep, that's not a trick question. You can all say yes. Am I still married? Yes, I'm still married. So this ring then has nothing to do with me being married to my wife. This ring is a visual representation for the world to see the vows that I made to another person. I said to her for the rest of my life, I commit to loving you. I commit to pursuing you. And here's the other side of it. And I'm proud to tell the world that I am yours and you are mine. Baptism is a wedding ring. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with obedience and the love, showing the love that you have for Jesus. And so in the same way that Naaman went in the water and came out healed, baptism is a picture. Because when you're baptized, you go under the water and it's a representation. That's a candle. It's not a representation of the candle. That's like, we'll get there in another day, okay? But when you go under the water, it's a representation of the death that Christ died. And so you go under the water, and it's representative for you of dying with Christ. Your old life goes down into the water, and you come out a new being. You are raised to life now in Jesus because he is your life. He is your identity. He is your story. And if you've ever been baptized before, then tonight is not a time to go get baptized again. I'm not going out and trying to find another ring to put on my finger. I've already done it once. That's all I need. But if you're in this place, if you're in this room, and you've never followed through in obedience, 
you've never actually followed through on what Jesus tells you to do once you've given your life to him, once he saved you. What, what are you waiting on? What we want to do is give you an opportunity to follow through in obedience and to be baptized. And you're like, but I look on fleek. Like, why am I? I can't. Like, this can't get wet. Nope. It doesn't matter. If your clothes are willing, if, if you are allowing your clothes to keep you in disobedience, you got a whole other set of problems. Because guess what? They'll dry. And if you don't want to get something showing you're wearing white, awesome. We got shirts. And we got a change of clothes for you to go home in. Because we're prepared tonight to open up that baptismal tub for all of you to be obedient, that you need to be obedient. And maybe some of you in the last few moments just gave your life to Christ. Well, guess what? You get to follow the Bible maybe more accurately than a lot of us in this room because you get to repent and be baptized in the exact same night. And you might be thinking, but my family in here, my friends aren't here. People, we're going to film it, we're going to have pictures, and you're going to get to show everybody. And the other side of it, we're your family. This is a family. And we're going to celebrate the bejesus out of what's going to happen tonight, okay? So we're about to party. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. If that's you tonight and you want to be baptized, let me give you some logistics. I'm going to ask that if you're anywhere in the rows right here or anywhere in the back, that if you're like, you know what, this is me, all right. Like, like you're getting yourself psyched up, you're getting pumped up. Okay, we're going to baptize you tonight. I'm going to ask that you would walk in the next few moments as we start this song, that you would walk up into the middle, into the back in the middle, and you'd walk around to this corner. So don't walk across the front and up this way. Please, everybody, listen and watch. Go around the back and go to the back corner over here. Some of our leaders will be back there just trying to get some information, make sure you got what you need, explain to you what's going to happen. And then over the next, next few moments, during this next song, while we get to worship, we're going to celebrate baptisms. Yeah, I'm, I'm like stoked. All right, y'all can't hold me back. Um, but here's the other side of it. If you're in the room and you're not getting baptized tonight, well, then you get to worship for all the reasons in the world. Because your friends, your peers, your family are following in obedience with Jesus. And they're saying, listen, Jesus has saved me for the rest of eternity. I'm with him. So we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship and we're going to sing and we're going to be here as long as we want to be. Because ain't nobody telling me when I need to leave because I'm a grown man, okay? So we're going to go after this. So as they start playing, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to press in. And all, my, all I'm asking of you is that you be obedient. You be obedient to the offer of God. If you need to ask him, even right now, you want to be a part of this, but you need to ask him into your heart and to forgive you, it's not too late. That offer never leaves. It's always there. Ask him in this moment to forgive you. And if you've done that but you've never been baptized, tonight's the night. This is the moment of obedience where you're going to follow over to this corner and then come down and get in the water and put on a ring and proudly say, Jesus has saved me. Why would I not tell everybody that? And we're going to celebrate tonight. We're going to celebrate baptisms. And here's the deal. I don't care if it's just one person. I'm going to go bananas. That's all that matters. We say it a lot of this church, and it's totally true. One matters. One matters to God. One matters to us. And you matter. So respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take off my shoes and get ready. I'm going to get fired up. Let's, let's all stand at the same moment when we start singing. We're going to get ready and dive into worship. And if you need to respond, you walk up in the middle of the room, you go to that corner, and we're all going to celebrate you. There's no shame in this place. There's no judgment. We are nothing but excited for you and for you. So let's respond. Let's go. Let's go.